Chapter Twenty Eight of Haworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire Reddick. Haworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter Twenty Eight. A Speech. When he returned to the works, the noon bell was ringing and the hands were crowding through the gates on their way to their midday meal. Among those going out he met Floxham, who spoke to him as he passed. "'There's some of them chaps,' he said, "'as we're not sure their faces again.' "'Aye,' said Haworth. "'I see that.' French had left the bank and was pacing up and down his room, panic-stricken. "'What have you heard?' he exclaimed, turning as Haworth entered. "'Is it—is it as bad as you expected?' "'Aye.' said haworth worse and better too better he faltered haworth flung himself into a chair he wore a look of dogged triumph leave em to me he answered i'm in the mood for em now but it was not until some time afterward that he delivered the message rachel french had entrusted to him on hearing it her father appeared to rally a little it seems a rather dangerous thing to do he said but it is like her and perhaps, after all, there's something in... in showing no fear. And for a few moments, after having thought the incident over, he became comparatively sanguine and cheerful. As Floxham had predicted, when the workbell called the hands together again, there were still other places vacant. Mr. Briarly, it may be observed, had been absent all day, and by this time was listening with affectionate interest and spasmodic attacks of inopportune enthusiasm to various inflammatory speeches which were being made at a beer-house. Toward evening, the work lagged so that the overlookers could no longer keep up the semblance of ignorance. A kind of gloom settled upon them also, and they went about with depressed faces. "'It'll be our luck tomorrow,' said one, "'if there's nothing done.' But something was done. Suddenly, just before time for the last bell to ring, Haworth appeared at the door of the principal room. "'Lads!' he shouted. "'Them on you as wants a speech from Jem Haworth. Gather in the yard in five minutes from now.' There was no more work done. The bell began to ring, implements were thrown down, and a shout went up from the crowd. Then there was a rush into the yard, and in less than the five minutes the outpouring of the place thronged about its chief doorway where Jem Haworth stood on the topmost step, looking down, facing them all boldly, with the air of a man who felt his victory more than half won. "'Let's hear what that's getting to say,' cried someone well hidden by the crowd. "'Out with it!' "'It's not much,' Haworth shouted back. "'It's this to start with. I'm here to find out where you chaps stand.' But there was no answer to this. He knew there would be none, and went on. I've been through the place this morning, he said, and through the town, and I know how the wind blows as well as any o' you. The lads at Marfet and Moulton and Dillop are on the strike. There's a bad lookout in many a place besides em. There's a lot of fools laying in beer and making speeches down in Broxton, and there were some here this morning as didn't show this afternoon. How many o' you's gonna follow em? Then there was a murmur, which was not easy to understand. It was a mixture of sounds, defiant and conciliatory. Haworth moved forward. 
he knew them better than they knew him. "'I'm not one of the muddle sort,' he called out. "'I've not set up soup kitchens, nor given ye flannel petticoats. "'I'll look sharp after ye, and I should have been a fool if I hadn't. "'I've let you alone out to work hours, and I've not grudged ye of your sprees when they didn't stand in my way. "'I've done the square thing by ye, and I've done it by myself.' The places I've built let no water in, and I let em to you as easy as I could and make no loss. I didn't build em for benevolent purposes, but I've not heard one of you chaps complain of em yet. I've given you your dues, and stood by you, and I'll do it again by— There was a silence, a significant breathless one. Have I done it? he said. Or haven't I? Suddenly the silence was broken. Aye, there was a shout. Aye, lad, yo are. Then, he shouted, them as Jem Harworth has stood by, let him stand by Jem Harworth. And he struck his big fist upon his open palm with a fierce blow and stood before them, breathing hard. He had the best medal on his side somehow, and the best medal carried the day. The boldness of his move, the fact that he had not waited, but had taken the lead, were things all for him. Even those who wavered toward the enemy were stirred to something like admiration. But what about the union said a timorous voice in the rear there'll be trouble with the unions as sure as we stand out mister Haworth made a movement none of them understood he put his hand behind him and drew from his hip pocket an object which caused every man of them to give a little start and gasp they were used to simple and always convenient modes of defence the little object he produced would not have startled an american but it startled a Lancashire audience. It was of shining steel and rosewood, and its bright barrels glittered significantly. He held it out and patted it lightly. That's for the Union lads, he said, and more like it. A few of the black sheep moved restlessly and with manifest tremor. This was a new aspect of affairs. One of them suddenly cried out with much feebleness. Three cheers for Arworth! "'Let the chaps, as are on the other side, go to their lot now,' said Haworth. But no one moved. "'There's some here that'll go when the time comes,' he announced. "'Let em tell what they've heard. "'Now, lads, the rest on you up with your hands.' The whole place was in a tumult. They held up their hands and clenched and shook them and shouted, and here and there swore with fluency and enthusiasm. There were not six among them who were not fired with the general friendly excitement. Tomorrow morning there'll be papers posted up, written in Jem Harworth's hand, and signed with his name, cried Harworth. Read em as you come along, lads, and when you reach here, I'll be ready for you. Is it about the pistols? faltered the timorous voice. Aye, Harworth answered, about the pistols. Now go home. He turned to mount the step, flushed and breathing fast, and with high-beating pulses, when suddenly he stopped. Before the iron gate a carriage had stopped. A servant in livery got down and opened the door, and Rachel French stepped out. The hands checked their shouting to look at her. She came up the yard slowly, and with the setting sun shining upon her. It was natural that they should gaze at her as she approached, though she did not look at any of them only at Haworth, who waited. They made a pathway for her, and she passed through it and went up the step, her rich dress 
touched more than one man as she swept by. I thought, they heard her say, that I would call for my father. Then for the first time, she looked at the men. She turned at the top of the step and looked down, the sun on her dress and face. There was not a man among them who did not feel the look. At first a murmur arose, and then an incoherent cry, and then a shout, and they threw up their caps and shouted until they were hoarse. In the midst of it, she turned aside and went in with a smile on her lips. In Haworth's room, they found her father standing behind the door with a startled air. What are they shouting for? he asked. What is the matter now? I think I am the matter, Miss French answered, though I scarcely know why. Ah, giving him a quiet glance, you're afraid. End of chapter 28